podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it All right, Patreon, we are here with Colin Wright. What's up, y'all? Thanks are, so much for your contributions. We're talking about the new American dream. We're uh, going to dive into some surprise questions today, but first, let's read some more about less. The article I have today is something that Colin tweeted. I also want to read from this, uh, the things we were prepared. Actually, let's start with that. The things we were prepared to walk away from. This is something I wrote a while ago because... Colin, we were talking about this during the uh, minimal episode, but uh, I, we can get a little a little more personal with this. It's just the patrons listening, listening, <laughs> so um, we're we're allowed to uh, let our hair down, so to speak. Oh, good. Okay. And and it it does seem cold in our culture to walk away from even something like a marriage. Like for me, I knew my marriage was over well before it was over, mm. but I. I, in a way, didn't have a, the courage to walk away from it. And so I stayed in something that was miserable for me, but it also made it miserable for her. Right. That's the thing. It, we have this perception, I think, that a lot of these decisions are incredibly selfish. And in a way, they are. Through a certain lens, it is a selfish thing. But selfish isn't always an inherently bad thing. There are things that you can do that are selfish that are devastating for everybody around you and for yourself in some ways. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the selfish that means that you're taking care of what's going on in here inside mm -hmm. yourself so that then you are better for yourself but also for all the people around you. If you're continuing to sacrifice and draining yourself and burning yourself at both ends and like giving up your entire life just so that you don't uh, cause a momentary bandage pull type of pain to anybody around you, then you are going to create this like long-term trauma for everybody involved. Yeah. And, and that type yeah. of quote-unquote selfishness, it does suck and it's not optimal in a lot of ways, but it's something that does tend to be more beneficial in the long term, as long as you're doing it for the right reasons, as long as you're doing it not to take away from other people, but to make sure that everybody involved is better off as a consequence. That's yeah. often how I delineate um, selfish from self-interest. Or self-care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the, the self-care side of things is when you, when you sort of weigh out everything, is what is going to be best for everyone involved here? Mm -hmm. And it, your, your favorite book of mine is a book called Some Thoughts About Relationships. And I, mean, I buy that book by the case and just hand it out to people. <laughs> and it was something that really helped my relationship early on was setting up some sort of policies that uh, we, between me and Bex, we would read the thing uh, every night. We just like read one of your chapters and each chapter is structured as, as a policy basically. And things like the I'll tell you policy. Yeah. And and because that is something that for me was just stood out more than anything else because I was going around saying, is everything okay? Are you sure mm. everything's okay? Yeah. And, and because in relations I had in the past, the way that you, the way that you communicate something's wrong is you through passive aggression as opposed to like just saying, hey, there's something wrong here. So the I'll tell you policy uh, gave me the freedom to say, hey, if there's something wrong, I actually have to be part of commitment is telling you there's something wrong. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and unfortunately, 
we have a lot of uh, around the world actually this is the case in different permutations but we have a lot of traditions based around just dealing with it and just going with it even if everybody involved is not happy as a consequence of that mm. decision to be passive aggressive and not bring things up uh-huh. and so for me developing those policies over the years they were just things that i found that if i do this if we do this everything is immensely better on multiple levels and there's situations where those policies don't fit that's why they're policies as opposed to like hard set rules or tenets or something like that Mm -hmm. but coming up with a collection of these things and going through them like you did and just saying i mean i i do the same thing when i get into a relationship i'm like there's a collection of things i'd like to talk about Uh here's some things i think if we get this out in front then we can uh we can enjoy each other more worry about fewer things, know where each other stands at all times, communicate more clearly, consistently throughout the entire relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's remarkable. It's unfortunate, actually. It's not necessarily remarkable because it is so common. It's unfortunate that more of our traditions don't revolve around that type of communication and instead tend to revolve around obfuscation of the entire yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy how just communication alone, I mean, that's and that's a cliche right like that's where most problems come from in relationships is a communication breakdown right and because you start to not understand what other people's expectations are you don't you don't know what their needs are you don't even know what their desires are and 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 then the desires start to manifest in weird ways i found too when i was living this sort of traditional american dream it manifested through stuff quite often where it was like, well, there's some sort of void in my life. So I'm going to, instead of actually asking these difficult questions, like uh, who's the person I want to become? What do I want my relationship to look Mm -hmm. like? What is my definition of success? Why is that my definition of success? Should that be my definition of (laughs) success? Uh, And I was asking like questions about like well what's going to fill this void well seemingly the material things in our life will fill the void so maybe if we get granite countertops or we should get hardwood floors installed in this house we just built and have carpet in like it's the the it's covering up as opposed to it's covering up the difficult questions because it's yeah it's easier to sort of throw money yeah. at a problem especially when you you don't have money you can just put it on a credit card you're throwing someone else's money at the problem it's almost like we're kind of give, putting ourselves in a double bind too because it's like you rely on the countertops the hardwood floors the new house like to make you happy it doesn't make you happy then you have this whole other area of your life mm-hmm. that now you can't focus on because you have uh you know filled your life with a bunch of things and there's a lot of reasons why we do that but one of them it, it occurs to me is that it allows us to foist the responsibility of our happiness on somebody else. So rather than taking responsibility for it and asking those difficult questions, and then we are responsible for answering them in a way that helps us get to a better place, Mm -hmm. we say, okay, I'll give you money. You solve this for me. You give me this thing that will make me happy. It'll solve my problem, right? And that is a lot more comfortable too, because then if it fails, well, I'll just try again. But if you try personally, if you ask yourself these questions and you face that potential of failure, the the thought of failing in that way can be so devastating that uh, people don't even want to attempt it in a lot of cases. It is a huge yeah. responsibility. It's very intimidating, too. Yeah. And there's always the chance, especially if you haven't done it before, if you don't have a, a rhythm or a reflex for it, uh, that intimidation can be so powerful that it's uncomfortable to even think about it. And so you're more willing to just set it aside and take any option that will allow you to put that on somebody else. Yeah, it's failure is, it is scary for sure. I mean, I think about like with my dad and how I can't even have a conversation with him about anything outside of his beliefs 
because I mean, he has said like, Hey man, when you start talking about stuff, it really makes me question, you know, things that he's built his whole life on. <laughs> and that should negative. be a good thing. <clears throat> it should be a good thing. But instead it's scary to fail. It's scary to look back and be like, Oh, I mean, he's 60 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking at his life and thinking, man, like for 60 years, I have been wrong. Like he, uh, and, and a lot of other people. And, you know, I certainly was stuck at a certain point, but like he would rather say to himself, like, I'd you, rather continue to be wrong. Yeah. I'd rather continue. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather continue to be wrong this way. Throwing good money after bad. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, well, in, yeah. The throwing money thing is fascinating. You talked about, I'm going to give you money now, solve my problem. We were, we were talking about this last night. So I have a Peloton bike at home, right? <laughs> and uh, Ryan has a uh, one in the gym. We have two in the gym. Yeah. Whoa. But not, not in his, <laughs> Mariah his actual... and I race all the time. She always beats me. <laughs> <laughs> you end up in the same place though you just tell her that no nah, it looks like we tied right um no the the thing you you tweeted something that was have you seen this ryan it's one of the twitter? funniest yeah have you heard of twitter <laughs> it's his website it's on the internet i call this guy's at ryan right nicodemus <laughs> i follow cool. someone else he's at podcast sean and he doesn't follow me oh. um <laughs> all right sorry so you saw on twitter <laughs> Uh, talk about passive aggressive (laughs) (laughs) he really wants a pay raise (laughs) if I can get $200 more a month I will follow you on Twitter that's Uh, that's a pretty good deal Yeah, it's costing me a lot. Because That's what we pay all our Twitter followers. Yeah, Twitter we, have, <laughs> we have you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. It's costing us a lot of money. Yeah, that's huge overhead. Yeah, yeah. it really is. It's, oh, uh, you th- guys have a massive budget for this project. <laughs> well, thanks to Patreon. <laughs> 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 no, the, the thing that uh, this tweet, it was like this guy, we got to find this. Actually, I think it was uh, Mahalik, other Sean. Okay. Uh, Sean Mahalik, who, who runs my How to Write Better writing class with me. He's also the editor at Paleo Magazine. He, he might have been the one that sent me the tweet i don't don't remember where it came from but basically uh it was all the when you see the peloton ads by the way the peloton bike has been a great resource because we use it right some people and i in fact uh bex and i we we spent um probably a month and a half to two months making the decision on whether or not we wanted to buy it Mm. because i didn't want to say it wasn't an aspirational purchase, but sometimes it was like, okay, if I'm going to buy this thing, I better use it. I shouldn't just exchange my money and all of a sudden via osmosis, I'm now healthy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. I don't I don't spend the $2,000 on this thing to become healthy. That's not how it works. No. I have to, have to spend the money on it, but then I actually have to use the thing in order for it to work. Yeah. Otherwise, I just wasted $2,000. The worst use of $2,000 ever. Because... In these uh, ads, the Peloton, I don't know if you've noticed this, it's always in the most <laughs> remarkable places. Talk about the, some it, of these pictures. It looks like it's in the Getty or something. Like they, they've <laughs> taken this bike and put it in the middle of a super modernist architecture set of some kind. Mm-hmm. And usually it's like right in the way of the view or it really is in the center of a big empty space that yeah. looks like a museum or a gallery. Or it's in the middle of your perfect living room. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a nice looking bike, but it's going to ruin your living room. I have a, a good view of a nice, for those of you who have seen my, my apartment tour on on youtube that they know as well it's like it's a nice apartment mm-hmm. but like imagine putting that peloton bike in the middle of it like it would just be so odd it'd just yeah. be in the way right you, well, you, you're the same thing you have a, a nice living room yeah. and a peloton there by itself would look awesome right 
<laughs> but it would ruin the experience of actually living in your home. Yeah, or worse, like you just build a separate room that you can keep em- empty to put your Peloton in the middle of. It's yeah. it's almost like they were selling it as like a a statement piece, mm, like a piece absolutely. of art, like a statue you'd put in yeah. the middle of everything, and they were presenting it in that way. It actually led to I don't know if you saw the the subsequent meme that arrived from that, where people were taking photos of their actual situation with their yeah. Peloton bike, and it's like there's <laughs> yes. clothes hanging off of it. It's like in the middle. It, it's like tucked in between two other, especially oh. like New York apartments. Right. Where it takes up half the space in the apartment, so it's like in the middle of everything, and they use it to dry their laundry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we we That's keep ours as sexy. We keep ours in Ella's room because, yeah. like, it's just out of the way, and mm. she can't say anything about it. <laughs> She's too short to use it herself. Right. So it's just it. Yeah, I mean, it's not uh, overlooking some grand vista or or the beautiful mountains or something. Um, anyway, the things we're prepared to walk away from. Let's talk about this essay real quick. This is from our book Essential. What are you prepared to walk away from? This often unasked question shapes one of the most important principles in my life. We are all familiar with the age-old theoretical situation in which our home is burning, and we must grab only the things that are most important to us. Of course, most of us would not dash into the inferno and reach for material things first. We'd ensure the safety of our loved ones and pets. Then, once they were safe, we'd grab only the irreplaceable things photo albums, computer hard drives, family heirlooms, everything else would be lost in the conflagration. I tend to look at this situation a tad differently, though, taking the hypothetical a bit further. There is a scene in the movie Heat in which Neil McCauley, uh, played by Robert De Niro, says, allow nothing in your life that cannot walk out, uh, allow nothing in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat. Mm. Although my life isn't anything like Macaulay's, he's the movie's bad guy. <laughs> you do kind of have a villain vibe about you sometimes. I'm an insp- aspirational bad guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you could do it. I can see that. The, the Christopher Walken bit. Wait till I turn 40. I'm just going to go crazy. <laughs> I will be the villain. Yeah, they'll call you the minimalist. <laughs> right. Oh, man. I go in people's houses and just steal their stuff. Yeah, yeah. The minimalist strikes again. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, anything I'm nothing like uh, Macaulay's character. He's the movie's bad guy. I share his sentiment. Almost everything I bring into my life, material possessions, ideas, habits, and even relationships, I must be able to walk away from at a moment's notice. Many of you will disagree with me because this ideology might sound crass or insensitive, but I like to posit that it is actually the opposite. Our preparedness to walk away is the ultimate form of caring. Mm. If I purchase new possessions, I need to make certain I don't assign them too much meaning. Being able to walk away means I won't ever get too attached to my belongings, and being unattached to stuff makes our lives tremendously flexible, filled with opportunity. If I take on a new idea or a new habit, I do so because it has the potential to add value to my life. New ideas shape the future me. Same goes for new habits. Over time, my ideas change, improve, and expand, and my current habits get replaced by new habits that continue to help me grow. Our readiness to walk away from ideas or habits means we're willing to grow. We're willing to constantly pursue a better version of ourselves. If I bring a new relationship into my world, I know I must earn their love, respect, and kindness. I also expect they, too, are willing to walk away should I not provide the support and understanding they require. Mm. 
This means we must both work hard to contribute to the relationship. We must communicate and remain cognizant of each other's needs. And above all, we must care. These fundamentals, love, understanding, caring, communication, build trust, which builds stronger relationships in the long run. It sounds paradoxical, but our willingness to walk away actually strengthens our bond with others. Mm. And the opposite stance, being chained by obligation to a relationship, is disingenuous. Mm -hmm. It's a false loyalty birthed from pious placation. I've noticed that for me, that, that was one thing. Like It got to the point at the end of my marriage where we weren't married so much as we were like really good roommates. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't actually being a good roommate even because it was it was placating in a way yeah and yeah. that 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 wasn't really adding to the relationship i think it was taking away from it dude if you guys hung out with me just out of obligation well we've known ryan for so long and <laughs> he's a sweet boy so you know we hang out dude i i would be like get the fuck out of my life man. how awful <laughs> yeah <laughs> like why would i yeah like i want I, I want someone in my life who genuinely appreciates the relationship we actually have you know, something that we're building together rather than, yeah, like, because I think about family, those are the hardest relationships to walk away from sometimes. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's necessary. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. That's the first half of the essay. We'll put a link to it in the show notes so you, if you want to read the entire thing, or you can check it out in our book, Essential, as well. So, Colin, you've traveled the world, and, and that's changed quite a bit for you. Um, well, since you started, you were going to a new country every four months. There was a period where that just, eventually sort of fizzled out and it's not to say that you wouldn't go back to it necessarily but what uh what spurred the decision to to pause that for a while well i'd done that model a, a new country every four months or so my readers voting on the country i choose the city uh for about seven years continuously wow and you do anything for seven years that long. yeah man so it was 28 different places that got voted so it, or I, so 21 I, yeah somewhere in the neighborhood of that over and then, 20 <laughs> and then in between i'd visit other places so i've been yeah. to like 65 some odd countries wow. um, for a couple of days or longer um, but then at a certain point i, I got to this point a couple of years ago where i realized that although it was still interesting and challenging in a certain way it was also a very familiar interesting and challenging mm. and although i could keep on happily going to countries using that model and learning new things all along the way i realized that it didn't scare me anymore it yeah. was something i'd gotten really used to coming into a place learning what i needed to learn meeting new people putting down some roots having some friends there and then leaving it was something that i'd become accustomed to so so doing it continue to do it would be like your fifth year of high school exactly sort of yeah and and it it would be fine there's still more to gain but at the same time i realized in that moment that the thing that really scared me at that point was buying furniture <laughs> like I, so i i was we talked to rosie golan about this uh there's like a whole like, I think it's a blog now that's like that captures couples fighting in Ikea yeah oh I've seen this yes yes and and, and so yeah you, your your trepidation was different from that though it, it was a little bit different I mean basically here I was I think I was what 30 or 31 and I hadn't had a steady address or a car or furniture that I owned since I was 24 mm -hmm. and I had changed so much I'd been changed so much from what I'd seen the people I'd met the ideas that I'd had the things that I'd done and I didn't know what I would get. I didn't have any perception of what my space would look like, how I would live day to day, what it would be like to get mail more than once or twice a year. <laughs> um, so all of these things, really simple things and even silly things to be worried about. But they, they kind of tied into this, this bigger concern that I was a little bit concerned that I didn't know who I was without the travel. 
And I was concerned that I might be like an empty husk of a person if I didn't have this continuous sense of novelty in my life. Mm. And I didn't want to rely on that external factor to Mm. grow Mm. and to continue to challenge myself. So I decided, um, actually, it was at, somebody asked me this question, I think it was at the premiere of the documentary in New York. You know what's fascinating is we, so we're actually doing a tour stop here tonight in in LA. So by the time this comes out, your birthday is April 16th? Yeah. Happy birthday. This comes out on your birthday. Does it really? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) So, so, um, so old now. Yeah, Yeah, man. How are you now? Are you still 27? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds about right. No, actually, I wouldn't give up my 30s. 30s have been great. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Uh, And and so, um, I, I think that ever since like 2012, you've been on a tour stop on, our tour stops where we've d- toured together 2012 we did the holiday happiness tour mm-hmm. uh uh together uh i think you were at maybe eight of those 10 stops something like that, something like mm-hmm. that yeah. we're all just driving around orion's corolla <laughs> yeah. there was one time where we had to drive from chicago to la oh and something oh like my goodness i don't know, we had like 20 hours to make it happen it was something that, crazy yeah. we d- drove been, through the night never been more tired than <laughs> at that gas stop where uh, that gas station where we finally swapped out i i remember not quite hallucinating <laughs> but it was definitely at the point where i was like nearly hallucinating yeah. and it, it was good that we swapped out in that moment i think maybe 12 or 14 hours into the drive yeah, yeah we've was, had some adventures yeah. we have indeed and so I, every year since 2012 we we've done some sort of tour thing together and yeah. we're, we're, we get to do that again tonight um but then you moved so when you decided to move back to the states it was you did you let people vote on the state at first? Is that right? Not the first one. So okay. the first one actually the the tour stop that that documentary premiere that I was at. Somebody asked me what the most exotic place I'd ever been to was, and I kind of jokingly said Wichita, Kansas, <laughs> because I had visited that area when I was younger, and it was a really exotic thing to me. I, I grew up in Columbia, Missouri, which is it's a university town, very international. Mm-hmm. We went out to visit some relatives in in that part of Kansas and the only thing to do in the area was to go to Walmart buy ammo and then go into the fields and shoot at cans like and that to me was this incredibly exotic thing it was so bizarre I'd never encountered anything like it up till that point or since and I realized in that moment that I'd been to all these countries and they were still exotic and different in ways that I could I'd grown accustomed to learning about yeah but there was still a lot of the United States that I hadn't seen or really uh, mm. tapped into in that same way to learn about and to try to immerse myself in mm. And that combined with that fear of buying furniture and getting mail and all of these other things that are super normal for most people but had become very abnormal to me, I decided to take some time in the U.S. And so I, I decided to go to that exotic place, that exotic land of Wichita, Kansas for one year. Uh, and so you moved to Wichita, Kansas. You found – and you did the – the thing you would have done typically in the thing I liked about your travels when you were you were traveling to say Iceland or or uh, you were going to Argentina or something, you would read the first few paragraphs of Wikipedia and you just sort of show up and find a way to become a local. It wasn't living in hotels and you weren't a four month tourist. Right. You were a four month local and 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 you did the same thing for a year in Wichita, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's you know it varies the amount that you can do the amount that you can truly immerse yourself in any given area, but I I enjoyed it and I learned so much and it allowed me to it allowed me to take some time to do stuff I'd meant to do I always wanted to learn to play the piano I wanted to learn how to cook um, things like that that are difficult to do from the road for a variety of reasons mm-hmm. I was able to immerse myself in but I really wanted to challenge myself to make sure that I could be 
that I had an internal motive power that made me curious and made me want to learn and challenge myself and expose myself to seek out new perspectives as opposed to going to a place and then having them delivered to me because it's just a radically different place from yeah. what I'd experienced before. And you then ended up letting people vote on a state the next time you wanted to move to it. So you, because you, you had set up sort of this hub, a creative hub for you. It allowed you to also start your podcast, Let's yeah, Know Things. Yeah. You started doing some YouTube videos on your YouTube channel. And, and basically, you were able to hunker down and create from one space, which is different from, I mean, your ability. Remember, Ryan, we were on tour with him and. Uh, several years he would just be in the backseat of your Corolla writing a book yes and would yeah. finish a book while we're on tours oh, I just finished yeah. another novel or that one stop like we had just written like the first draft of everything that remains uh -huh. and like Colin in our backseat like read it and edited it and gave us feedback <laughs> <laughs> on the way to the next door stop. he also sleeps like a robot in the backseat so if you're if you're one of the video subscribers you can see his like, I'm seriously. jealous of how you're able to just like shut down that's exactly and, like, his head goes he's, down he's and seated then, yeah so if you're watching this on video, it's it's just like this. He, he just all of a sudden. There's yeah. You could definitely uh, at Ryan Nicodemus on Instagram. I know I got a picture of Colin sleeping on there. I'd it's, love to see that. You're totally. so adorable when you're sleeping, Colin. <laughs> Put a link to that actual picture podcast, Sean, if you can find it. Yeah. Also, reach out to Mahalik and get the 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 Twitter thread of all the hilarious Peloton parodies. Oh, I can't wait to. I gotta, yeah, you you gotta, gotta check it out. It. It's it's hilarious. Uh, anyway, so then you moved to well, they voted on. They Tennessee. voted for Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you got to pick the city. I picked the city. And so and you picked Mississippi. I, I picked <laughs> Mississippi North. Yeah, Mississippi North, as I mean, they call it. Memphis is, I always say Memphis is the biggest city in Mississippi. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. I mean, it was my, my apartment there was, I think, a five minute drive to Arkansas and like a 10 minute drive to Mississippi. Wow. It was right on the corner of the state. Uh, but I picked it because, I mean, it seemed like a really unique city. I, I kind of picked it for the same reason that I picked Calcutta when mm. I moved to India. Because there's a lot of cities in India that are very globalized. And they you have all the normal accoutrement of living in a big city. Whereas Calcutta was a place that was a little bit left behind in certain infrastructural mm. things. And Memphis is kind of the same way. Where they've got all the good bones of a real Gorgeous. success story. Oh, yeah. my oh, well, God. And the history, history. there, the yeah. food there. the, the I've never met friendlier people. Like, they're Absolutely. just so wonderful. Everything. I loved everything about the city except the heat um, but other than the heat I uh -huh. loved everything about that city and I could not figure out from a distance in particular why the same investment dollars had not arrived in Memphis um, there's a lot of reasons that I speculated about mm -hmm. but I wanted to go and immerse myself in that and live in a place like that so it that was another very different experience in a lot of ways too radically different from Wichita Kansas uh, but the idea was to continue some of the same personal growth that I had done in Wichita trying mm -hmm. keeping uh, my growth in terms of cooking and playing the piano and running my podcast going but also learning about a different portion of the United States that I hadn't lived in before man that's funny i would have picked nashville but oh that's i think uh, it was a block of people in nashville who voted yeah. for me to come to tennessee yeah, I and so. i think they thought for sure that you would go to nashville and i'm like nope psych yeah You're going to memphis but you know what it's, it's funny though I'm, I'm glad you did go to memphis because nashville would have been the easy move and i've i've been to nashville i love nashville yeah but it's also and and i don't mean this in a bad way there are aspects of it that are kind of predictable if you've been to other nice lovely right um it's a place where a lot of people move there's it's a, a safe place to move. there's good hipster really? coffee shops right you know yeah. like it's that type of place where a little bit of that stuff has moved in and the money has moved in and yeah. there's some vc money and there's some tech companies less and, friction yeah exactly it would have yeah. been very comfortable it yeah. would have been very nice and memphis has many of those things like hipster coffee shops but instead of them being imported they're homegrown in a yes. way they the locally sourced everything and they're passionate the food too 
there. It's mm-hmm. very, very Memphis culture that I really appreciate. Yeah, and uh, I think I would have probably picked either Knoxville or Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan's uh, birthplace is Knoxville, yes. Tennessee. Yeah. And I, there's something really I really, really dig about Knoxville. Knoxville's great. And Chattanooga is... That's where I bought my motorhome, actually, was Chattanooga. Really? Yeah. yeah so I, there, I, had... I, I haven't been there in a long time. We've never done a tour stop at Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed Memphis. I've We've done more tour stops in Nashville than just about anywhere else. Yeah. And uh, we've done a couple in, in, Knoxville. in Knoxville. But yeah, Chattanooga is like this gray... It's... Uh, it's a really underrated city, mm. and man, I, I really enjoy it. I got I got to get back there. We should do like a Tennessee tour yeah. at some point. I don't know That'd if be I've fun. ever been to Chattanooga. Or like if I did, it just was passing through. Yeah, I spent a couple days there, back when my mom um, was was passing away. I, I drove down to Florida, and then I spent a day there, just sort of like walking and thinking. You know, mm-hmm. I was going through a lot of stuff, and my, and on the way back, I did the same thing. There was something in in that city for me that. Uh, helped me it helped me think like uh, it felt it felt sort of midwestern in a way but and the the downtown was both being developed but also had all the bones of yesteryear i'm sure you saw that in memphis yes yes i've never been to wichita so i don't know if you if there's a similar thing going on there there's oh gosh i'm I'm, i think i'm going to end up writing a book about that period so I'll, i'll have more to say but I have a lot to say about both cities, and there's a lot of downsides to both. There's a lot of assets that they have too, both yeah. human assets, infrastructural af- assets, and very, very different governing models as well mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. And now you're you're traversing North America. Yeah. Uh, you were in an RV until very recently. Yeah, until what the day before yesterday. Right. Uh, and so you're doing this uh, 26 city tour, roughly 27 cities somewhere around there, and it's called the Becoming Tour, which I really uh, Michelle Obama she, totally man, ruined. She thing. came in after. She ruined your hashtag. Oh. I, mean, I mean, I'm glad I got the dot com before she did because <laughs> <laughs> she she would have stomped me otherwise. Um, yeah, her book is called Becoming, and so she did a book tour, Becoming Tour. And, yeah. Uh, which totally makes sense. Yeah. I, I think it was parallel thinking. I don't think she I stole the idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, <laughs> and, and so um, the, the thing that you're doing is you're sort of settling in a place for a week or two and and it's almost like a miniature version of what you were doing in Wichita and, and Memphis yeah, in a way. a little bit, but blending that with the traveling to the new country every four months. The, the idea was to, one, challenge myself to figure out a business model around touring and speaking. Um, speaking is something that I really enjoy doing, but typically, organically, I have like three or four different gigs come in from universities and conferences each year. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do it more regularly. Uh, and I'd never done my own tour. I've, I've toured with a lot of other lovely and handsome people, <laughs> uh, but I haven't done it just completely myself, putting everything together myself, managing all sides of that to kind of see what's involved, the economics of it and everything too. Yeah. So I wanted to do that, but I also realized, and this is something... Uh, kind of a continuation of what I mentioned before about the furniture, I found a thing that scared me. And the idea of driving a motorhome <laughs> terrified me. Mm. I just could not imagine a worse, dumber, less safe looking thing to do. And so, of course, I started to research it immediately. Uh, and That's I spent awesome. about five or six months researching another four or five months looking for something that I could afford to buy outright and something that I could live in 
for the duration of this tour. And you bought the Ferrari of motorhomes if it was a 1985 If it was Ferrari. 1985, I, it had the fanciest Naga hide. It had the nice. most bodacious cassette players. Like, I mean, it, like it had, it, it oh, had, wow. yeah, multiple, multiple. It had an ice maker, a blender built into the counter. Like it was really fancy for the 80s. Yeah. Um, and it, it was kind awesome, of a, a nice synchronicity there. I was born in 85. It was born in 85. Wow. I've had every mechanic who's looked at it has had, has either tried to buy it off of me or told me something along the lines of this isn't old it's a classic yeah and so that <laughs> i felt good about the research i'd done and the thing that i'd found a pretty good deal on it and spent some money and time fixing it up uh and then and then hit the road in it and it and it was terrifying and it was incredibly educational and i'm so glad that i did it for so many different reasons yeah. i'm also glad that i learned enough to realize now halfway through that year-long tour it was a good moment to sell it, to divest in that investment, mm. and to try a slightly different model for the rest of the tour. Yeah. So. If oh, you got rid of it. I sold. Yeah, a couple of days ago, oh, I sold it. Oh, I didn't even realize in it. In Quartzsite, Arizona. Wow, yeah. Man. And you've 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 interacted with a lot of people on this. You probably uh, this tour that you otherwise wouldn't interact with. Not just because you're doing the 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 tour stops, but in the sort of RV places in between, there are these whole communities mm. that are are different from the rest of America. They're living their version of the American dream, which yeah. is actually outside of the normal status quo. It's a yeah, it's a very extreme, ex it's an extremely well-defined subculture, but part of what defines it is that there's all different shades of purple in terms of politics. And you get a lot of interesting a la carte things where they've, they've their dominant politics might be one side and then they'll choose a couple very interesting extreme points from the other side, or they'll come up with one that's not held by anybody else in politics. Uh -huh. And that is something that they firmly believe. Mm. Uh, and it is something else that I found, which was really nice, is that almost universally the most helpful, kind, um, welcoming people that I've met just as a as a subculture, very broadly speaking, I never found myself in a situation where I didn't know what to do, where somebody didn't just come up to me and help me out. Mm -hmm. And it's that type of culture because everybody's been new to this field and didn't know what they were doing and was terrified to drive this 33 or larger foot vehicle down the road. And then somebody helped them. So there's this interesting kind of uh, heritage to it as well, where you're helpful to everybody else, they're helpful to you. There's a lot of Karen Kara like type of sensibility to it, uh, alongside awesome. the incredibly interesting politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that you've gone through this, are you looking toward the, the horizon? Uh, what is next in terms of your travels or not travels? Yeah, I. At any given this point. This is just for patrons, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can announce it here and we want it. That they keep it to themselves. <laughs> oh, I feel like I should have something really dramatic, but I, I, I don't have anything firm yet. At any given point, I'm kind of planting seeds for like mm. seven or eight potential directions. Uh, I really, are a few of those? I've been looking into rural land and mm. I'm very interested in the technologies involved in uh, eco-friendly ar uh, architecture right now and yeah. in terms of energy, uh, especially energy, but also water in terms of eco-friendly technologies that we have that haven't hit the mainstream yet. And I have a few That's connections awesome. in that. I've been doing a lot of research on it and I felt like it would be interesting to have a patch of land somewhere, one where I could go and then slowly over the course of a couple of years build something yeah. uh, as, as like a retreat, but then also something that would allow me to have a space to experiment with that stuff, see it firsthand, see what the potential and realities of these things actually are. You, you should talk to Nicodemus about this because he's yeah. been talking about buying a piece of land ultimately and, and you know building a, a sort of not a tiny home but small home yeah like a yeah, yeah like a an appropriate home <laughs> just the right size no more than that yeah exactly no only um, four car garage yeah, we're looking at uh there's a couple pieces of, of land in montana mm -hmm. that we've been looking at um 
but yeah, dude, I'm like, uh, it's funny. I want to have an- another conversation just yeah. with you about that stuff, man. Yeah, Cause yeah. I, my, my goal is I would love to build a, um, self-sustaining home, meaning, uh, it, I don't have to be plugged into the grid for electric, man. I can have a greenhouse that will grow food all year round. Mm. Um, just, you know, somewhere that basically, you know, if the world blew up, I could still, and I'm not, a, I'm not like a doomsday or You're that's not, not, yeah, I'm not prepping, but, uh, but the idea of being self-sustained like that is very appealing to There's Mariah. There's something satisfying about that concept. Yeah. 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 So that's one thing I've been thinking about. I, I also relatively recently started dating somebody who lives in London. Uh, so that's adjusted my thinking to a certain degree. I was able to visit her in London not long ago. I'm going to go again soon, mm-hmm. uh, before my Seattle stop, but I'm, I'm taking that into consideration. She has a very strange lifestyle as well. She's like a writer and an actress. And so she's traveling around. She's got work that she needs to focus on. So we've we've got our own lives and going in these weird directions, making sure whatever I build next intersects mm-hmm. regularly. Yeah. That's pretty important. So to you're me. thinking about moving to London? <laughs> well, maybe spending some time there yeah. part of the year. Uh, I'm also looking into doing a European tour potentially. Oh, I, dude. I, part of learning about the business model of touring, I nice. have found pretty good success in some areas with like house show style uh, tour stops instead of selling tickets Yeah, where it's donation based. In some cases you actually make more that way, but then also people who can't afford to buy a ticket can still show up, which I, I think is a really nice thing philosophically. Yeah, it's something absolutely. I like to cater I really to when like I can. That model, man. Yeah. yeah. It, it's something that's not possible. Pay what you want. The theater tours that we've done because yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine like the Wilbur's going to be like, yeah, just pay what you want. I oh, see so you guys uh, have reached a scale though. You, you have no, I mean, a I think cadre we, who goes I, with you. You may, I mean, but yeah, but like, I don't know how that that's probably not sustainable. I mean, that that was a particular thing, like mm-hmm. where you know we have you know we're filling up theaters for a while. I don't I don't think that would be a long term thing. Like that was just sort of strike while the iron is hot. Let's get out of here and talk about this message. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the next tour we do will be smaller than that. Yeah. Um, and I'm Hopefully totally it'll be fine a European with that. tour though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would be I'm awesome. You, if you guys ever want to do it and just do like a. Uh, kind of on the ground announcing the day before type yeah. of tour stops around Europe taking the trains around it's a really w- lovely way to travel I need to plan I'm better totally down that. I need to plan uh, eight okay. months it's just me and Ryan there. right just me and Ryan will do it we, we will drink I'm all down. the water everywhere so that way <laughs> right <laughs> send me uh, postcards please how do you stay so curious Colin that's one thing that I I'm not I have to force myself to be curious about certain things now here, here's the thing I dive deep when I I get obsessive about something mm. which I guess is in a way a type of curiosity yeah uh, it's it's obsessing about the the one person of the details where you get curious about different things how, how do you stay curious I find awe in a whole lot of things I find that very often and especially even in just like regular normal things that everybody else ignores I Maybe it's just a way of looking at things where I am awe-inspired by the fact that when you get into a plane, we as a species have gone through all the steps required to come up with the science, the technology, the wherewithal, the systems Mm. to create a situation where a normal guy like me can get into a vehicle that allows me to fly at 30,000 feet across the planet in a very short period of time. So everyday little things like that really put me in this state of like whoa yeah just being having my mind blown on a regular basis and i find that i do that regularly with it's a lot of things like a, awesome a gratitude practice in a way so a lot of people in the self-care movement would call yeah, it yeah it's a it, it, it's more of an appreciation practice yes, really exactly exactly and then i mean Part of my priorities when I started to get into minimalism and started to strip away certain things and add other things was making sure that I had all the time in the world to do whatever. And a lot of that whatever 
is being able to sit around and read all day if I want to, uh-huh. or to invest myself in something that may or may not ever pay off, mm. but wow. something Beautiful. that I can still dive deep into and get really interested in. Well, that, that, and that's being not tied to the outcome. We were talking a bit uh, to Andrew Schultz about this, the comedian, and uh, a lot of his happiness comes from when he... St- he was miserable when he was always tethered to what the outcome was. He's mm. he, he had several. He had a really popular show on MTV, and then eventually that you know goes away like everything else. And then his his idea of happiness was always tethered to like what is the outcome? Mm-hmm. If this, then I'll be happy. Mm. Whereas opposed to you, it was, it, your your situation was like I can happily pursue something even if there isn't an actual outcome. If the outcome is no outcome. Right, right. And the experience then. It's putting the value on the experience, on the journey, the journey being the destination to mm. cite an overused cliche. But it's totally true. I, In a lot of cases, uh, what did I, I did this with uh, uh, learning about electrical engineering mm-hmm. uh, not long ago. It, it, partially it was practical when I was doing research on RVs, but then I got really into it and I started researching. I got some textbooks. I, I went through some online courses that were like, go at your own pace online courses. I read a yeah. bunch of websites and forums and then I eventually segued from that because there's strangely a lot of similarities into amateur radio. And then I got to the point, like right up to the point where I almost got my amateur radio license. Oh, wow. like I did all, I, yeah, wow. I did all the studying, all the research and everything. I Sean has that. Am I right? Yeah. Technician. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, there's different levels, right? The technician level. Yeah. That's and good. so I, I, I went in and I booked the test and then I found out I was leaving town before I'd have the chance to take the uh. test. So it, it kind of ended there. But now I have this additional way of looking at the world where I can look at things that were always there. Mm-hmm. And I can see them in a different way because I have a certain amount of understanding. It's it's like putting on different lenses, putting on glasses when you had blurry vision your entire life. And now suddenly something new pops out in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I love that continuous experience of discovering things that yeah. were always there that I didn't have the language to describe yeah. or the knowledge to recognize. I'll tell you what I'm getting out of this, man, is like you do a really good job of embracing discomfort. Thank you. Like you go out of your way to embrace discomfort. And I would, I, I like to think of myself as someone who can embrace discomfort, but like you seek it out almost. And that is, um, <laughs> I that is. do it in a healthy way. Cause I think you can yeah, take anything to an extreme. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't like enjoy discomfort in the, in the, the physical sense, like being right. crammed into a yeah, tiny airline seat. Yes. No, exactly. Right, right, I'm right. not enjoying the pain or the discomfort unto itself, but I've, had enough experiences where discomfort leads to growth yeah that i can recognize that that's kind of where i'm going and i can kind of recalibrate my thinking about it and say this discomfort unto itself isn't this interesting yeah isn't this a remarkable and new sensation what a great way to stay curious it works really well for me everybody yeah. has a different way of looking at the world but for me it keeps me really motivated and interested and it allows me to find a whole lot of value in things that i would otherwise ignore yeah so I have, I'm just writing down some ingredients here, Ryan. You just said discomfort. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like writing down what are the ingredients to the new American dream? Like for us, all ingredients we can sort of agree on and then yeah. it's, it's adjusting them for taste, so mm. to speak, right? And so um, we talked about walking away, right? Like the ability to walk away. Now, walking away itself is is not inherently a good thing right we're just not, walking away then you are running from maybe everything maybe you could say self-reliance yeah because that gives you the ability to walk away and you know that you're still okay and in relationships in particular both yeah. people being their own independent person who is okay by themselves means that you can then make the choice the conscious choice to be together yeah as yeah. opposed to relying on each other and needing each other and desperately sticking together because you will be devastated otherwise yeah because like constantly talking about 
being able to let go and walk away. Well, like you said in the essay, it could come across as this negative thing or this very selfish thing. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you can, that right. is a really valuable thing. Yeah, it yeah. shows that you are both there on purpose. Because you're Josh, giving up everything yeah. else, all the other things you could be doing with your time. Yeah, you are trading for that moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're not afraid of commitment. We just are very deliberate with the things we commit to. Mm. Is this the best use of my time right now? Right. Is often the question. That's the thing. We, we can go and dive into the DMV thing while we're at it, like because that that's one of those things where you have to do it like if you want to drive a car or board a plane you have to get a driver's license right right? and and so we we have we have to go do it and because it is a bureaucratic monopoly it's government run um there is no alternative there either like we we had very poor customer service yesterday well yeah they they don't have to give good customer service when something is mandated yeah yeah Yeah. and and they could they have there were were some very nice people there though i don't want to like undermine the whole branch no it wasn't the whole thing but like overall it was a bad experience yeah um and and it was mainly because of one guy who was just a total asshole yeah and uh and dealing with them he could have simply just been nice like he actually had, it's almost like he didn't realize that that was an option for him. Mm. And I think sometimes we go through life like that where we, we get pissed off or whatever. And we don't realize like, oh, there is an alternative to this path that I'm taking right now. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And and it requires a bit of extra effort. And in a lot of cases too, I, I suspect at least, I don't have any firm evidence for this, but anecdotally, people who behave that way typically have been treated that way mm. and so it just seems like that's the norm They're and projecting. and that person who had power over me treated me this way so once i have power i'm going to treat other people that way so i'm the one in power yeah absolute power corrupts absolutely <laughs> <laughs> that was the the funny part of this whole thing like there was a guy who was just being a total dick to yeah. us uh who's working there and ryan and i were like uh laughing about yeah, something i looked over and said that i was like well no we were laughing about something and he's like you can't talk in here and like right. it felt like purgatory at one. Yeah. This this DMV because there's so many people in California. It was at a former grocery store. It was the entire size of a grocery store, yeah, and it was, it was full of people. It's crazy. And uh, a lot of people in LA. Yeah. And so <laughs> we Ryan and I like we got our we filled out the paperwork. We filled out the application. We had our appointment, and we then had to wait in the first line, and then we had to wait in the second line, then the third line, the third line for our photo. Oh my god! And then after the photo, oh yeah, there was four lines, and then we, yeah, we had to go take a test at the end. And yeah. I, right as we walked in, there was a lady failed her test. Oh, and I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna have. We we were at the DMV for four hours yesterday. I'm going to fail this test now, and I just wasted four hours. At one point, we didn't have our W twos with us because mm. I don't have a social security card right now because it got lost. And and so, um, yeah, we had to call our accountant and be like, dude, can you send us our W twos? Yeah, well, we had to I, go to the liquor store to print it. We went to a liquor <laughs> store to print our W twos. Right. So oh, that man. We, we could come back and like it was this whole excursion. <clears throat> it was like you could have pared it down to a really great 22 minute sitcom episode. Yeah. Because at one point the guy's being a dick to us. He goes, you can't laugh in here. You're going to have to leave. And, and like we're at the very end. And well, what's I- funny is it, we laughed at that joke of absolute because I looked at him I'm like, see, Josh, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And yeah. then we lost it. And then he went on with his shitheadedness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, as as we we're going through it, like I actually realized, one of, it was a negative experience overall. Mm. That because Ryan was there, it was it ended up being a positive. It was one of the most fun days I've had in several months. <laughs> yeah. I had more fun yesterday at the DMV at this terrible experience. But it was it's that embracing the discomfort. It, it's a place I didn't even want to be. 
the question that we often ask, in fact, the thing we talk about in, in the book Minimalism is, okay, yeah, this is a bad situation, but how can I make this yeah. more fun? What yeah. lens can I look through? How can I enjoy it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can you can choose to enjoy that experience and to look at the good sides or at, at the bare minimum to not suffer and not choose to suffer. There's different circumstances and extremes, obviously, where that's more difficult than others, mm-hmm. but especially with discomforts and tedium. Yeah. In a lot of cases, you can typically go up here and make some adjustments and see things slightly totally different. Totally agree. We were talking about that last night. Daniel Kahneman w- was talking about how he's right now less concerned with human happiness and cons- more concerned with eliminating su- human suffering to, mm-hmm. a, to a great extent. And we can do that in our own lives where if first, if we're, we suffer about the, we make ourselves suffer most of the time. Where at the DMV, I was suffering unnecessarily, but when we started having fun with it, I wasn't suffering anymore. In fact, it was, a, then I was happy eventually, mm-hmm. but first we had to sort of eliminate that, that temporary suffering. Yeah. And so maybe enjoyment is is a part of the new American dream. Mm-hmm. Self-reliance or the ability to walk away. Injecting discomfort, not pain into a situation, but making yourself intentionally uncomfortable in certain situations. Yeah. Uh, discipline we talked about during the minimal episode and, and how that sort of equals freedom. And I think freedom is another component. We get to define freedom how, how we want. This is going to turn into an essay, isn't it? I think ultimately it might. <laughs> um, being debt-free, Ryan, you talked about debt-free is the yeah. new American dream, and I think that is a big component because that's a part of freedom. It, freedom, and, and the word that Colin used is it untethers us from one thing, and it's usually the biggest thing in American life right now is debt. It's, yeah. it's a, a consciousness about commitments. It's making your commitments very, very intentionally, and that includes money commitments. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then if I also look at Colin, like to me, he's living... The, his American dream. He's living the dream for him. It's mm-hmm. not my life, but he's pursuing what he's curious about. So maybe curiosity is part of that new American dream yeah. as well. And then last but not least, uh, the last ingredient I have here, I'm sure there are others. And by the way, if you have others, please put them in the comments on, yeah, on Patreon. Uh, what are your ingredients for your version of the American dream? We'd, we'd love to know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, just put them in the comments of this episode. Uh, health for me. Mm. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So, Three years ago, 2016 was the nadir of my health. I uh, I thought I was dying, um, got my will in order, and then I started working with the folks from Nourish, Balance, Thrive. My doctor, Tommy Wood, is great. Uh, Chris Kelly are amazing. The whole team over there at Nourish, Balance, Thrive got me back to health to where last year, 2018, the first half of the year, the first eight months really, some of the best times of my life. Um, I was so healthy. Uh, my gut issues have been resolved. I had C. diff, which mm. kills 14,000 people a year in the United States. We caught it early enough to, to get rid of it through antimicrobials. And, and then I had uh, heavy metal poisoning. I, I, had eaten, I was a pescatarian for nine years and ate big fish almost every day. And so I had... Listen to a lot of Slayer. <laughs> yeah, heavy metal. <laughs> uh, I was more of a rat fan myself. <laughs> Is that a band, Sean? Okay, nailed it. Nailed it. Um, That's a deep cut. <laughs> if not, we can just edit it. All right. No, I, uh, it, but uh, we got, and then, man, I was so unhealthy. To get rid of heavy metals, you have to do chelation therapy, mm. which is, it binds to all the metals in your body and makes you really unhealthy because you get rid of, you can't go and say, please get rid of uh, the mercury and. Uh, but leave the iron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd really like to keep that zinc, please. Yeah. No, it just gets rid of everything. And so your immune system is heavily compromised. I got hand, foot, mouth disease from my daughter. And, and uh, it was it was really, really rough for a, you know quite, maybe six months uh, toward the end of uh, 
2017, but then 2018, my health started coming back, and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Summer of 2018, best two months of my life. I, I did an autoimmune, sort of autoimmune uh, elimination diet, and it was meat, greens, and oils, basically, and removed all the inflammation, and I felt healthier than I ever had in my entire life. Mm. I was 30, just turned 37, and I'm like, man, this is what health feels like. And then Ryan and I took a trip to Brazil. To have, we had a speaking gig down there, and I drank the water and had what they call a food poisoning event. And it was quite the event. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a food poisoning party. God, man. And a familiar old friend. And I just figured out through a, a series of tests. We did a bunch of tests this fall, and they came back with false negatives. And there's a whole reasons why they come back with false negatives. Uh, a lot of bacteria films a, a, a layer around them, this film, a biofilm hmm. around them, so they don't show up in tests. So they're protecting oh, wow. themselves from leaving your body, basically. Wow. But I, I eventually we took uh, something called interphase that is a biofilm disruptor. And so it, will, it starts to get it out of your body. And so I did some tests this past month and realized that for the last six months, I've been living with... Uh, enterotoxigenic E. coli and mm. five other opportunistic bacterias who that have destroyed my gut again. Mm. And so when I was living in peak health last summer, I very promptly got rid of that because I, I um, drank this water. And I still had a compromised immune system, a compromised gut, but I was the best health that I had been. Right. And what I've learned the last six months, they've been the six most difficult months of my life because... Uh, your gut health leads to your brain health. So I've experienced depression for the first time in my life. I've experienced um, the inability to work on any tasks that require any amount of cerebration. So Ryan and I have been working on our next film. We've been working on our next book. But I've had to sort of just pause those and explain to people like, hey, this my creative self is not here right now. I can do rudimentary tasks that I can respond to your email or whatever. But mm. when it requires hunkering down and doing the deep work that is required to create something meaningful. It's been really hard. In fact, we've paused 90% of everything. Uh, so uh, everything except this podcast, basically, we paused. And even in February, we paused this, the, the public version of this podcast yeah. for a month just to sort of reset. Yeah. I found a direction, and so I found some hope, and that's really nice. Now, there's a whole protocol that I have to go into with the folks at Nourish, Balance, Thrive, a 60-day protocol to try to get rid of this. But my gut has been messed up and I've realized that something I knew intellectually, I've felt it viscerally now. If you don't have your health. You got nothing. You've yeah. got nothing, man. Yeah. And that importantly includes a whole lot of things. Sleep is a key component of yeah. our health that unfortunately yes. you could have like a, a, an amazing diet and work out every day and do everything that you can and then you sleep four hours a night. And it undoes a whole lot of the good that you did for yourself. Yeah. It's a holistic thing. It's like a, a multi-component, multifaceted thing mm -hmm. that doesn't, you don't have to go crazy usually. Different people will get different results, obviously, because we're all different. But mm -hmm. it's amazing what a little bit of preventative effort can do in terms of slowly but surely improving the quality of what you eat, the working out that you do do. You don't have to be a, an Olympic athlete to get the benefits of working out mm -hmm. and then putting in time to get better at sleeping. Yeah. It's absolutely well, astounding. I mean, people walk around in this like days where they, they have low energy they're, they're you know, they're moderating their, their life with waking up in the morning, have coffee at night, drink some alcohol to go to sleep. And like that is that is due to to health, basically. Like if you take good care of your health, like you do have this natural energy. It 
it takes a you know a little bit to get there, mm. but uh, yeah, sleep's a huge component of that for sure. I agree that those three things in particular: diet, exercise, and sleep. Mm-hmm. There's a great book about sleep by uh, Dr. Matthew Walker. It's called Why We Sleep, mm-hmm. and it sort of talks about how you can improve your sleep, but also helps you understand. Um, why sleep is necessary and, and how it helps us and really how important of a role it plays in our lives. And everything, yeah, yeah. We're, we've learned a whole lot in the last five years in particular about yeah. sleep and what it does and the role that it plays. Mm-hmm. And it's we're going to keep learning more, as is the case with everything brain-related and body-related, but yeah. already we know enough to recognize that we've screwed ourselves up since the Industrial Revolution. We, and We absolutely have, and we continue to screw ourselves up, and his book illuminates some ways to help fix that. And what I've realized ultimately is as I'm repairing my health, health is also perspectival in a way. Yeah, the, the someone like our friend Rich Roll. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rich, but he's like one of the fittest men on earth. He's mm-hmm. like a uh, this ultra marathon vegan, super healthy. Yeah, yeah, and um, that is appropriate for him. I I may not be able to live his life. His optimal health is not my version of optimal health. Right. And, I, right. and even if uh, someone who has uh, some sort of disease, there's an optimal, if you if you have cancer, there's still an optimal version of the life that you can live. Even with me with the E. coli that I have right now, there's an op, I, I still have to get optimal sleep, Have uh, especially have the optimal diet right now that, to prevent the E. coli from feeding on it. And I need to get optimal exercise. I can't do full bore exercise right now, mm. but I still can walk every day. Yeah. I can do a few pull-ups and push-ups every day. Uh, and so I, it may not be the best version of myself long-term, but it's the best version right now. Yeah. And, and finding what is the best right now. And I know you yeah. experienced that. You've been traveling a lot. Yeah. You, you, your exercise uh, routine has changed with, with your current travels. Dramatically. It's, it's all, like you were saying, it's all circumstantially optimal. There, there is yeah. no one optimal even for any individual. It's optimal based on what you've got. And that, yeah. that includes where you are, the, the assets or infrastructure that you have access to. But even things like uh, you know, how you happen to be feeling that particular day. Mm. It's not something where you have to do exactly the same routine. Mm. Like doing a little bit of all of these things. That might be something, especially if you suffer from depression or something like that. Being able to do just a little bit can nudge you in the proper direction, give you immense benefits even if it's not immense on the scale that you might have in a different situation. Um, So for me, adjusting my own uh, sense of optimal for each new place that I go to has been really important. When I first started traveling, I had this, I had a gym, you know, I went to the gym every day and I spent two hours there and like it was, it was a part of my routine so I could actually sleep. I was not sleeping terribly well back in the day. I tried to replicate that when I started traveling and Mm. failed utterly. And that discouraged me because I had this, this un, uh, unattainable standard, these metrics that did not make sense for my new situation. So I had to completely recalibrate. I started to do body weight uh, resistance exercises instead, things that I could do from anywhere, like my prison workout, essentially. If I have a space that I can lay down, I can do these push-ups, I can do body weight resistance, I can do jumping jacks, and then recalibrating that based on what I have in place. When I was in Wichita and Memphis, I started running again. I started going to the gym and using weights again. When I got back out on the road into the motorhome, I had to change it again. I was often in places where I couldn't go running because I was out in the middle of nowhere. There's no sidewalks or paths or anything. You'll get hit by a bus if you try to run on the roads. Uh, So I had to, you you make do with what you've got. And that's true of your circumstance, where you are physically in your environment, what you have in terms of money or assets or infrastructure that you have access to, but also who you are as an individual. We're we're all going to have different shapes, different healthy will look different on different people. And we've all got different 
levels that are success or that we can identify as being success in any particular situation and not allowing ourselves to compare ourselves to other people or comparing ourselves to ourselves in different circumstances, mm-hmm. I think is important to keep that that motivation and desire at least going. I forget how you just worded that, but uh, you were saying that you had your standards were at a level that they were unatta- unattainable. Yeah, yeah. And like that is, that's a warning for all of us. It's mm-hmm. like, we got to be really weary of what we're setting our standards to because sometimes it's not attainable and then yep. if we keep that sin and then we're just gonna wake up every day feeling less and less yeah and, and you'll be more likely to say well i can't attain that so what's even the point right and then not do anything <clears throat> when you give up when you is... could have done something that would get you to 70 percent, and that 70 percent is not nothing that's meaningful absolutely and the phrase you use which i think we add this to our ingredient list of the new american dream it's redefining optimal mm. for that particular circumstance like with my current health like it's a new optimal and it has to be a slightly lower standard than what I'm used to. And in fact, an appreciably lower standard, mm-hmm. but there's still a new optimal for me given the circumstance. And as I improve, then that optimal can change. I need to redefine that and I need to put myself back into those discomfort zones so I can grow. Absolutely. All right, let's answer some surprise questions. What does podcast Sean have queued up for us here? Let's hear from uh, Elian on Twitter. Is the American dream still relevant? Is it? Is it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm refilling my coffee right I now. I guess it depends on what you mean by relevant. And what and do you American mean dream. by the American dream? And it depends on what the definition of is is. <laughs> <laughs> Words are weird, aren't yeah. they? I mean, I, I think dreams are always going to be relevant. Like, meaning we've got to have something to shoot for. Mm. Um, I mean, the American dream as of 1955, yeah. uh, is it still relevant for today in 2019? No, probably not. Well, I, under I, those definitions, under those terms. I think for some people it might be. I mean, you and I both know people who, back in the corporate world, very few of them, who were actually mm-hmm. content with with the suburban house in northern kentucky absolutely and uh the 2.5 kids the white picket fence the dog the cat Mm -hmm. the pickup truck etc and that was fine and they were actually like they like that i want to play cornhole in my backyard on the weekends Mm -hmm. and barbecue and that was like great for them but then there were other people who were like oh that's great for them it will also be great, be great for, for me. Yeah, yeah. Templating. That's something that we like to do. We like to take something that works somewhere and then apply it broadly because that helps us categorize the world and gives us a sense or a set of metrics that we can then use universally. And we're like, okay, we're done. We've universally applied this to everybody. So if you don't live up to that, that's your problem, not our problem. Mm. And that helps us measure things, but it, we're not necessarily measuring anything useful. The fact that we cannot achieve somebody else's version of a dream. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think that that American dream thing, it was like, a, it's a branded issue. It's something that yeah, is heavily yeah. supported by nationalism, but also the fact that we were sending money all over the world at that point mm-hmm. to help a bunch of countries recover from that war and then to keep influence during the Cold War. So it makes sense that that sense of consumerism would spread as well. When I hear people talk about the American dream overseas, that's usually what it means. Mm. It it means the purchasing of things to show your value. Mm. Uh, And that's... type of... I have an essay on our website. Put a link to this in the show notes, Sean. It's called Consumerism is the Original Virtue Signaling. Yeah, yeah. But it was value signaling in a way. And showing what your status is and having the right things, having the right the exercise bike in, in your, your cathedral of a home, apparently. Right. You know, it's, it's having certain things and that being the most important thing because it shows other people your value. It shows them that they should want to have kids with you, that they should want to marry you, but also it shows them where you fall in the power system, in the hierarchy. Ah. There's a lot of things that 
that hmm. uh, exist throughout human society that we then reduce down to this one metric. Uh-huh. And we use this one metric to try to symbolize all of those things. And that reverberates downward. The lower you happen to feel you are on that hierarchy, the more you feel the need to fluff yourself up. And if somebody tells you, well, you will look more powerful and sexy and desirable in tons of ways. You'll look more successful and intelligent and everything if you own X, Y, and Z, mm, then that's a problem. it makes sense that you might want to do that, especially if you're not in any position necessarily to question it because mm-hmm. these are people who are powerful or further up the hierarchy or seem to be at least than you. And mm-hmm. that system, that propagating system is something that I think has spread as well because there's a lot of other countries. Every country has different cultural background and histories and everything. There's a lot of variables that go into this and it changes everywhere that it goes. But that unifying metric is something that spread in very recent history, but it spread so completely because we became such an economic and branding superpower mm-hmm. that in a lot of cases where it wasn't intermingled with the local culture and other value systems, it just overwhelmed it and dominated it mm-hmm. in so many different ways. And part of that's globalization, the fact that it made a lot more sense in a lot of economic ways and actually the political intermingling as well that's happening internationally today, too, that feeds it and supports it because it's a really wonderful way for certain entities to grow more powerful if they can convince more people around the world to believe this same thing. Mm. But the reality is, is that it's not the only way to determine those things, to look at each other, to value ourselves. But it is something that is incredibly relevant because it's been so well fed by so many different entities. It's very convenient for a lot of different systems to yeah. to keep that sense of self uh, in somebody else's hands. And not only do we propagate, we, we propagate uh, consumerism through through this old American dream. I right. guess we could call it the old American dream. I mean, what was the American dream? Is that what it is? It's, it's just well, that, consumerism. So that, that's what we're talking about here. So so I think that the old American dream is... is uh, the the value signaling of a particular template. It is a specific yeah. template. I think the new American dream, earlier in the episode, we defined all of these things, the um, enjoyment, walking away, self-reliance, discomfort, discipline, growth, freedom, being debt-free, having your health, and being curious. Yeah. That That is the sort of new American dream, but that's not a template so much as it is a... a, a a grocery list of ingredients yeah. that you then add your own ingredients to it and and I think these are like sort of key or core ingredients in that recipe mm. if you want to live a more meaningful life but propagating the consumerism of the old american dream yeah also propagated a lot of misery i guess it just makes me think that like it was never relevant it was like something we were sold in it was some very useful yeah and i think it was relevant in practice but that doesn't mean not relevant necessarily in terms of being valuable to people yeah i, I think in some cases it did there's a lot of super valuable things about uh, if we want to get granular about it mm-hmm. capitalism as it is practiced sure. yeah. there's a lot of valuable things and a lot of things that it's allowed us to do yes. in terms of advances in medicine in terms of human rights there's a lot of equalizing that it's done there's also extremes And a lot of those extremes, unfortunately, are things that have taken that concept that we were using as a bit of a branding mechanism in a form of soft power in the United States. Um, There's a lot of those things that have spiraled out of control in a way because of incentives that at the time weren't super meaningful, but which have become more important over the years. And those incentives have moved us into perhaps some harmful directions. So, So maybe like the American dream is still relevant, but you have to know what your dream is. It's like when I talk about living in Los Angeles, people are like, how's LA? I'm like... It's freaking awesome. Like it's has everything that I want, like anything I can imagine 
Los Angeles has. The hard part is knowing what you want. Mm. And like that is where that is where like the true uh, dream is, is like knowing what you want and be, being able to go get it instead of, yeah, being overwhelmed by everyone else's idea of what the dream is. Maybe call it the individual dream or the human dream then. Yeah. The, it is disentangled from the American yeah. dream, which was kind of a, a branding mechanism more yeah. than anything else. I dig that. The individual dream podcast, Sean. Yeah. Our next question is from Lindsay in Irvine, California. As Marie Kondo lately has gained more popularity, there's been quite a lot of criticism going around that minimalism is for rich people and that poor people hoard their things and can't be a minimalist. I've tried to explain online, like on Tumblr and Reddit, that it's also about not buying things. I know you talked about this before, but I couldn't remember which episode. What's a simplified answer to explain minimalism is for everyone? It's funny, this question... I, I I automatically feel defensive. Why? Because to suggest that I am excluding anyone from anything, it really hurts my feelings. Yeah. It's like for me to, for someone to say, oh, dude, what you do is great, but it doesn't work for this group of people, yeah. whether poor, whether non, whatever it is, because I'm such an inclusive person. Like it's it's hard for me not to get... A, a bit defensive about it. I think a lot of that perception comes from, especially from folks who haven't seen more than one or a couple of voices in a space too. Because yeah. there are certain advantages to being in a certain group, economic or otherwise, mm -hmm. that then in some cases gives you a bigger megaphone or at least bigger than some people or at least bigger before a bunch of other people start talking about the same thing on similar platforms. Yeah. Uh, I've heard variations of this question over the years. Yeah. And, and it's yeah, like been this. like really cool. Like every place I've gone in the world, there's variations and permutations of people talking about the same things mm -hmm. with local ingredients, taking stuff that's more relevant for the local culture, different yeah. people, different colors, different genders, different everything. Um, but they're not always necessarily seen in the same way, yeah. not necessarily algorithmically surfaced in the same way by Reddits and YouTubes and things like that of the world. Yeah. And so it's understandable that people might perceive that, especially if they haven't gone beyond the first layer of things yeah, quite yet. Uh, it's, it's understandable. And it's something it is. that is disconcerting if you look at it and say, well, this is clearly not for me. Yeah. Uh, I think we are reaching a point where that's not so much the case. I think you guys do a great job, actually, of surfacing a bunch of people who are talking about things from different angles, in fact, Thanks. which is which is good to see because I think we, it's important. And we go out of our way to do that. That is why, I mean, she didn't ask her question. And she wasn't being accusatory no, no. or anything with her question. But but it's like when I, I, I start to feel defensive when, that, when it gets brought up because we do go out of our way to do that as much as possible. But in the same token, there is there is a there is a problem. There are racial tensions in this country, especially in America. There are problems between uh, division of classes in America, and uh, the, these are topics that are important to talk about, mm. and they are important topics to consider, especially with something like uh, Marie Kondo show. I mean, if, if we're just singling out that one show, mm. yeah, like, I mean, it's showing, hey, here you have people who have too much physical stuff. They, they, they're overwhelmed by all this material possessions. Mm. Let's help these people have less material possessions. From that aspect, I could see where it's a bit divisive and it, and it could exclude some people. But I, I guess like in the same, in the same token, uh, oh shit, I totally lost my train of thought. I, 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 go ahead. What were you going to say? So there's also the, the issue 
there's some benefits to it, but it is an issue as well of like Instagrammable minimalism, mm. where it's a version of minimalism that makes it look like you have to live in a place with stark white walls and very expensive Scandinavian designed everything. Perfectionism. Yeah. It, in a way. yeah, it's it's like a very specific Instagram aesthetic for what minimalism is. Yeah. And there is minimalism as a philosophy as applied to things like architecture and design and stuff too. It's yeah. a different thing. Minimalism as a philosophy though if you are encountering it first through social media in a lot of cases, you're probably encountering a very superficial version of it yes. that might look exclusive if you cannot afford to buy exactly the right things. Mm -hmm. If you cannot afford the safety net of maybe making mistakes along the way, I could see how that could be, uh, how it can look that way. Yeah. But the reality, of course, is that, I mean, especially for people who have fewer resources, it's even more valuable yeah, in some ways. Absolutely. Like, it, and I remember where my train of thought was going. It's like when you watch those home makeover shows, here we have young, you know, young urban white couple with you know a 1.5 million dollar budget mm. and we're going to help them with you know remodeling their house it's like, it's like oh that, that allows me to see how i will spend my <laughs> 1.5 right <laughs> exactly exactly so i guess like to your point when we're looking at the the uh, tv versions when we're looking at the social media versions it could certainly feel that way and that's just the nature of the beast because the loudest megaphone is typically the more superficial messages yeah and, and I, it, it does take a little bit more um it, it, not the fault of any one person but it takes a little bit more digging to in some cases unearth the people who are not being favored by certain platforms yeah. for whatever reason yeah i mean with Lindsay, like going to reddit and going to uh tumblr to explain how minimalism isn't for you know insert whatever group of people you want to put there like minimalism is just for this like going to tumblr and reddit to explain why it's not what they're saying that's the wrong place to voice your opinion because i look at those places like internet and reddit like it's a fake world man like even even me ryan nicodemus who tries to be the most genuine person possible like on twitter it's a fake world for me man i don't when i see josh i'm like hey have you seen our latest uh, podcast have you seen our latest episode like of course i said this up on social media because that's the place for it yeah. but like that's not really who ryan nicodemus is hey friend nice to see you I haven't seen you in a while check out my podcast that's actually exactly how he is <laughs> <laughs> so like going to reddit and tumblr to try and have a real conversation about real feelings people are not worried about for, for you know for all intents and purposes they're not worried about having a genuine conversation they're worried about being right mm. and I, I, I agree with you i don't think that's happening in the real world in fact i think in the real world this especially amongst people who have children this is no longer a concern for people i i don't know any mothers who are listening to this who are really concerned about a lot of these the things that people are outraged about on the internet. Um, those are, they get blown out of proportion on the internet. Mm -hmm. Families who are listening to this, that you're living in your house and, and the suburbs and you're just trying to figure out how do I simplify a little bit? You've got your own real world problems. Yes. And the online problems that are affected problems are much less of a problem. You, you brought up some terms, Ryan, that I just don't think are as big in the real world. Uh, racial tensions. Mm -hmm. There are some racial tensions, but it's mostly exacerbated by online communication yes there, there are still some problems but yeah like you, you go to the south like it's a it is a there's a, some racial divides that are certainly still there sure and and, and there are some economic divides yep. 
but it isn't the the same kind of divide that we think about. There are people on different sides of a fence. Mm. We come from a place that is very racially diverse. Dayton, Ohio is 45% black, 55% white, basically. Mm -hmm. But you don't think of it in those terms. There are just other people who happen to be your neighbors. They happen to be your family in some cases. Mm -hmm. And, and, we we don't really think of it in in the ways of like her question was posited not in a in a mean way but no, 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 no. it was very strange that she's talking about Marie Kondo bringing something to the forefront and then asking the question is minimalism for white men and you're like well wait a minute how could it be if the Marie Kondo is in the same breath of the question yeah. because online what we've done is we've manufactured these fences these borders these mm. um identities that are we had this conversation last night about immutable identities Mm, that that you never want to define yourself by something that is immutable because that means you can't change out of it you can't grow you can't become aspire to be a better version of it i just realized like Lindsay, she's got the same concerns that i think we have and that is like we're living a life that we feel really strongly about that we try and share and then she's got someone who tries to come in with one statement and say well, minimalism, uh, it excludes poor people, chop. Mm-hmm. So that way, like, they don't have to consider minimalism for their own lives. And she wants to be able to go to people and and, and give a very uh, concise, short response that says, no, no, no. Like, it's, it's not what you're saying is what it is. But, like, the more we're having this conversation, it's like, I don't have anything to defend. Like, I don't know. Why, I mean, I know why I feel defensive in the sense that I want to defend my... Uh, my character. No, I think the reason there's a different reason you 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 get defensive whenever this question comes up. Why do you think? Is because you grew up really poor, mm. and you know that if we we define minimalism for a second, minimalism it's in terms of philosophy or minimalism in terms of well being. This is a great point. Like we all have to agree on what we're talking about when we say minimalism. And and it's the it's the intentional use of the resources you have access to. Absolutely. And is that really beneficial for rich people? Heck yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Or even people who, we, like us, we were rich, certainly not wealthy, but back in the corporate world, it was like we made really good money, but we squandered those resources. So we didn't have any any reserves. We just had debt. We weren't using those resources intentionally. So would minimalism have helped us in the corporate world? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, we grew up really poor. Food stamps, government assistance, trailer parks, debt, drugs, alcohol abuse. SWAT team kicking down the door. Right. And and so would the intentional use of resources helped you out when growing up? I know it would have helped me. Absolutely. Now, it would look different for my my, my eight-year-old self. Versus my 25-year-old self. And, and that's a hugely important point. And that's, that, to me, kind of gets to the crux of the issue, is that it's going to look different. All different permutations of minimalism or the, the application of the concept to all different lifestyles and groups and, and people who are categorized or categorize themselves in different ways is not going to look the same. And there's going to be a disparity between the presentation and the amplification of those different permutations and that's it's a natural thing that occurs because of who has the megaphones because of the systems that are built it's something that in general there's not a bunch of people going around and saying this is the only correct minimalism and if you don't practice it in this exact way Mm. then you're not a true minimalist Um, there are people who are going to try to sell programs and books and stuff on that principle most of us though are kind of like dude you got to apply it you have to know your own priorities 
That's something that's pretty widespread, but I do think it is important. And I think it's happening more and more, as I mentioned, that we have different voices, different people, people who come from different backgrounds, look different, have, have every different variable possible so that people can then see. And when they're only exposed to the concept superficially, mm-hmm. see immediately that this is, also for, this is also for something or for someone who comes from where I come from, who looks like me, mm-hmm. who has the same concerns that I do, because it's very, very easy to self-categorize in that way and say, well, that person's different, different circumstances. I don't need to listen to what they're saying necessarily. Yeah. So, Lindsay, when if someone says to you, oh, Lindsay, that minimalist lifestyle, it's, it's you know, it's, it's okay, but it excludes all poor people. I mean, hey, like, I don't think you need to give that person a response because they don't want to have a conversation. They just want to tear your building down. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to go get into arguments with people who don't want to have a conversation. Right. With you. Th- yeah. There's a difference between, yeah, having a conversation and then having a, a or debate and then having like a, a, an argument. Uh-huh. So, being able to decipher between those two, I think, is going to be really helpful. But, I mean, in the short, you know, the short tweetable answer is, is uh, I would never tell anyone rich or poor whether or not they could benefit from using their resources wisely. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, anyone can be more intentional with, can benefit from being more intentional with their resources. I'll leave you with this, Lindsay. Is minimalism for everyone? No, I don't think so. I think minimalism is for anyone who is discontented by their status quo. Yeah. They're discontented by whatever life they've been sold, whatever life they've been living, whether you're rich or poor, young or old, whether you're an American or Brazilian or you you know, you, you live in Asia, it doesn't really matter so long as you're looking to find a way to be more intentional with the resources that you have. And that's not just money. That's one of the least important resources, by right. the way. It's an important resource. It's but important, especially up to a point. Yeah. Right. yeah, as long as you've got enough that you can pay the bills, afford food, mm-hmm. you know, get health care. Like there's, there's a certain level at which point money is vitally important, especially in mm-hmm. our current economic system. Correct. And what, what I'm yeah. saying is it's one of the least important of the important resources. Absolutely, yeah. And so, so we, we often place it first. Yes. Ryan and I have an acronym we use called STEAM, where we identify the five most important resources and M is money. And but S it comes spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti is so viable. I don't care who uh, you are, where you come from. I'm so from. sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. It's your skills, your your time, your energy, your attention, and your money. Yeah. And those first four are as is are equally important to your money, if not more important, because your attention is your most precious resource. You can have all the money in the world, but if you're constantly just pinballing from here to here to here and not being deliberate with your attention what a meaningless life that is yeah i mean it's like you know think of something extreme like if i said to you like here's a million dollars you're gonna die in six months or you know i'll give you 10 more years of life it's like there's a pretty obvious decision there. i'll take that million dollars. i think most people would make (laughs) you know what's (laughs) unfortunate about that there are some people who'd be like oh yeah give me a million bucks and i'll spend it over six months and then i'll die and like or the the irony is most most lottery winners like they're functionally dead within six months. Right, yeah. yeah. They may not, not be physically dead, but like their life is totally turned upside down and way for the worse because yeah. it is the binge mentality, the not using the resources intentionally. Yeah. They are rich people acting like they are poor still. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a reason that like when when we first get money, like I remember the first commission check I got, I essentially blew it within a few days. I went, bought a new truck. 
brand there new you, truck, man. There you go. Yeah. So so I don't want to undermine Lindsay and anyone else out there. Like I don't want to undermine the the problem with poverty. It's there's a lot of real issues around that Absolutely, around identity. Yes. Different people having very different experiences. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it doesn't change the. Yeah, it, it doesn't. But I will say, I mean, personally, man, I feel like minimalism can kind of help close those gaps a little bit. Honestly. Mm. Well, it's it's something that you were talking about, Colin, where. Um, there are a lot of these events you're doing that are house shows on, on your tour. Mm. You find the, the, because a lot of them are donation based, mm -hmm. you have some people who show up who have the means and they'll donate 50 or hundred bucks, which helps pay for your travel. And other people can't afford to donate anything. So they'll show up too. So you have people, but they're intermingling around shared values mm -hmm. yes. as, a, as opposed to shared socioeconomic status. Yeah. The, the values of the people in the same socioeconomic class are, are often very different. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. and, and we're all going to be different no matter what group we fall into. But yeah, it's nice to see that amalgam of so many different age demographics, backgrounds, uh, races, creeds, like however you want to divide people up, all of these, these different uh, uh, labels that we can apply to people. Seeing these groups of people together who can unify around shared priorities and, and not priorities in terms of here's what I'm going to spend my money on, here's right. what I want to do for a living, but priorities in terms of wanting to do things more intentionally. Like yeah. just to do things on purpose, to know why they're going to do it, mm -hmm. to have taken the time to understand what they personally want as opposed to what they've been told they're supposed to want, mm -hmm. and then spending their resources, time, energy, money, everything accordingly. Yeah. Well, Colin, we're going to wrap this up here. We have a, an article we didn't get to, but I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You tweeted this, and it was a fascinating article. It was, it was incredible. called, I was a cable guy. I saw the worst of America. How would you recap this really quickly? How would you describe this article? We'll put a link to. It, it's a really well-written overview of what I took away from it was class disparities and different idiosyncrasies mm. of different groups and then the way groups look through other groups' lenses in a lot of cases too. Yeah. But also kind of the dynamic between employer and employee, the dynamic of people who are working in service jobs and particularly jobs where you go out to people's homes and get to kind of see a slice of life from those people. You really get to see it's so good. the depths like, of someone's life when you walk into their home quite often. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, yeah, it, this article did a good job of showing the, just the dichotomy between, yeah, like you said, like classes and... And the relationships yeah. that emerge as a consequence of that. It's, it's really yeah. interesting the way that we look at other human beings who met in any other circumstances, we, we might have a different sort of conversation, yeah. but in the context of this type of work... There's, there's kind of the, the lord and serf almost type of dynamic that can emerge in some cases. Yeah. I almost saw this as the dark side of the American dream or the, the underbelly of the American dream. <laughs> right. The subtitle of it is A Glimpse of the Suburban Grotesque mm. featuring Russian mobsters, Fox News rage addicts, a caged man in a sex dungeon, and Dick Cheney. So you can check that out. Uh, it is it's from the Huff Post, and it it's is great. really well written. Also, we had uh, one other question from Christy. We won't be able to get to that today, Sean. Maybe you save that one for a future episode. Colin, I want to thank you for being here today, man. You're awesome, man. Thank you guys for having me. It's been <laughs> a pleasure. Really lovely catching up with you guys. Let's uh, let's send folks over to your podcast and also to your Patreon. You have a Patreon. If you're already a Patreon subscriber of ours, you will love Colin and what he's doing. Let's know things is the podcast. You can check out his website as well, ExileLifestyle.com for all of his musing sign up for his newsletter is there anywhere else you'd like to point our audience colin.io will take people to a list of the books that i've written okay. awesome beautiful cool 
All right, y'all. Uh, let's have Peter Doran play us out today with every little thing. Love people use things, y'all. We'll see you next time. Thanks for all the support, y'all. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear